everyone. Welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian, and I pastor that location, and it's good to talk to you again. Where do you find comfort in life? The reality is we all look for comfort somewhere, but ultimate comfort can only be found in one place. We're going to talk about that today. At the end of this sermon, the congregation responds with a responsive reading. It was hard to bring across in the recording, so it cuts off. But if you want to read the words that the congregation read on Sunday, you can Google the Heidelberg Catechism, question one, and you'll see exactly what was said. So that's Heidelberg Catechism, question one. You can see exactly what we read on Sunday. I hope you enjoy this message, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something that he would like to say to you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been in this situation? Uh, It's a situation that I've been in. Something that I've done over and over again. Uh, You think I'd learned my lesson, but in some ways I haven't. I've done this with the homes that I've lived in. I've done this with the cars that I've owned. Uh, I've done this with electronics that I've owned and other things as well. And maybe you've found yourself doing this. Have you ever tried to fix a giant problem with a very temporary solution? Have you ever made that mistake? Have you ever convinced yourself that you don't really have to spend the money or that you could do it as good as a professional could? Have you ever made the mistake of trying to fix a permanent problem uh, with a very temporary solution? I'll tell you, uh, when Lori and I were in the first house that we owned right after we were married, we did a project where we redid the kitchen. And it was an older house built in the 40s and the kitchen had never been updated And so we decided we were going to do this kitchen renovation. And we were doing as much work as we could ourselves uh, to try to keep the cost down, of course. And there was one place where we needed to take a wall out of the room. There was this little tiny mud room that had cabinets hanging on it. And we wanted to kind of open up the space. And so we took down the wall. It wasn't a weight-bearing wall. It was easy demolition. But now what I had was this six-inch wide gap where the wall used to be uh, into the other wall that was permanent that went from the floor to the ceiling. Now, I've done things like fill a nail hole, but I had never done anything like replace a gap in a wall that big. But I thought for sure, how hard could it be? And so I decided to patch it myself, and I patched it myself, and everything was, was done. And then I stepped back and looked, and I can tell you, it looked horrendous. I remember one of my friends came and visited, and I said, you know, there used to be a wall there. I was describing the renovation. We used to be a wall there. And I said, but I patched it myself. And he said, yeah, I can tell. (laughs) And then when the real estate agent came and it was time to sell the house, she said, your house looks great, except for that. That has to go. And so rather than just doing the thing right the first time, uh, rather than paying someone to come and to patch the hole, uh, I had to have someone come and undo everything that I had done. Thank you. Undo everything that I had done and then fix it the right way. You ever found yourself in that situation? I want to suggest to you this morning that there is this giant need, this giant gap in your life and in my life is a big problem that needs a big solution. It's a giant gap that exists in your heart and in your soul and in mine, and it deserves a big solution. But for most of us, 
Most of us spend our entire lives just trying to patch together a solution to solve this problem. In fact, most of us are just trying to patch together some sort of fix to fix this problem that's in your heart and that's in my heart. This problem that exists in your life and in my life. And we're trying to create this patchwork solution to this challenge. And I want to suggest to you this morning that as we do that, we're actually making things worse. That as we try to come up with some sort of solution to fix this thing inside of us, we're actually not fixing the problem at all. We're just creating something that looks worse. And so this morning, I want to talk briefly about what that problem is. Then I want to talk about what the real solution should be. And to do that, we're going to look at a group of people that made the same mistake you and I make. A group of people that hung out with Jesus and followed him, but all the while they were making the exact same mistake, dealing with the exact same problem that even though this was 2,000 years ago, you and I still deal with today, and you and I make the exact same mistake these people were making a long time ago. We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning, and before we get into the problem and the solutions and all of that stuff, there's this story that happens in John chapter 6. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school at all, you went to CCD class, you went to a Sunday school class, you've been in church world for more than two weeks, you've probably heard this story. This is a big story. But what you may not have heard is exactly what Jesus says after this story happens. So here's what happens. Here's the story In John chapter 6, verse 1, John writes, after this. Well, what's this? If you remember last week, if you were with us last week, we talked about how Jesus was in Jerusalem and he healed the man who was by the pool and he did it in the middle of the Passover feast where everyone was watching and there was this giant crowd. So after all of that, after this giant healing and Jesus gets into a big dialogue with some religious leaders, after all of that, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For Jesus himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, Here is a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So maybe you've heard this story before. 
It's a fairly familiar story for those of us that have been involved in church. But even if you've never heard this story before, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important moment to understand. So here this large crowd is following Jesus, about 5,000 men, the Bible says. That probably means you're talking about somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people. So imagine the TD Garden. If you've ever been to an event, you've been to a Bruins game or a Celtics game or a a concert in the garden, it's about that size crowd that's following Jesus where he goes. And they follow him out of the city of Jerusalem across the Sea of Galilee so they can continue to hear his teaching. And they have a real practical problem, don't they? Here they are all following Jesus and somehow they need a place to eat. They need something to eat. It would be great if it was today, just all the food trucks from the city of Jerusalem would just follow the crowd out and they would set up generators and everyone would have plenty to eat, but not so in that day. And so Jesus knows what he's going to do and he says to one of his disciples, Philip, where are we going to get bread so all these people can eat? And Philip says, I don't know. Months and months of salary would not be enough money to buy bread for these people. And then a young boy emerges from the crowd, and Simon Peter, one of the disciples, has him. And he says to Jesus, here's a boy with five loaves and two fish, but it's not nearly enough. And Jesus multiplies the food so that everyone is able to have their fill. Now, that's an amazing story. But what I want us to focus on this morning is what happens after that story. Because Jesus does something unexpected, Jesus does this great miracle, has this great moment, and then the disciples that evening get into boats, and now they go back across the Sea of Galilee to a place called Capernaum. So here they are the day before, they're in Jerusalem, then they come across the Sea of Galilee, and then they do this great, they have this great moment, and then the disciples right away go back across the sea. Now Jesus doesn't go with them. But at night, everyone gets ready, everyone sets up camp or whatever they're doing for the night because tomorrow they anticipate they'll come back and Jesus will do more teaching. But in the middle of the night, Jesus then goes and meets the disciples out on the sea. And some of you have heard this story too as well. Jesus walks on the water out to meet his disciples. And they all travel to Capernaum together. Now the crowd, they wake up the next morning And they go out to the mountainside because they want to hear more teaching. And Jesus, of course, is gone across the sea. And then so what does the crowd do? Watch what the crowd does. This is in verse 22. This is what happens with the crowd. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone away alone in verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So you have this massive group of people, 15 to 20,000 people all moving with Jesus. And they follow Jesus all the way across the sea. And then Jesus does this miracle where they all eat from five loaves of bread and two fish. And then Jesus disappears. And so they all follow Jesus all the way back across the sea to Capernaum because they want to hear more. And the question that I have for you this morning is why is it that these people are willing to do this? Why is it that these people are following? Why is it that they're, that they're willing to do this, that they're willing to travel from one city to another and back again just to keep following Jesus? Well, the people know that they have a need, 
The people know they need something from Jesus. And in the story, if we were to read all of the verses, what would emerge is that there's really three reasons why these people so intently keep following Jesus. The first reason they followed Jesus is quite simply the crowd, they wanted a meal. They liked that trick. The price was right. right? The food was good. It was pretty amazing. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a part of that moment in time. But they wanted a meal. And they wanted it again. And in fact, Jesus, when he talks to the people after they meet up with him in Capernaum, he says this to them. He says basically to them this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The people had a very practical need. They needed to eat. And Jesus provided them food. So why would they not continue to follow? Perhaps Jesus would provide food again. So the crowd followed him because they wanted a meal, but that's not the only reason they followed. The crowd followed because they wanted a miracle. Right away at the beginning of this chapter, if you remember in verse 2, we read that a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that Jesus was doing on the sick. They saw how Jesus was healing people in Jerusalem. Remember the man at the pool that we talked about last week? People saw that and they wanted to see more. And so they were following. And then Jesus does another miracle. He feeds everybody on these five loaves and two fish. And they want another miracle. So they'll continue to follow. The show is getting better and better. The show is getting bigger and bigger. And the people want a miracle. And so they follow. But there's a third reason we read in this story why the people are following. It's not just that they want a meal and Jesus supplies their need to eat. It's not just that, that they want a miracle and Jesus supplies their, their appetite for the miraculous. But the people, they also want a monarch. You read there in verse 15, it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The people saw what Jesus was doing. They saw how spectacular his work was. And you have to remember the people to whom Jesus is speaking. This is a Jewish group of people currently under great oppression from the Roman Empire. And this group of people is anticipating that God is going to send them a great leader. And they are anticipating that when that great leader comes, that leader is going to lead them out of political oppression under the Romans. They're hoping for that. They're waiting for that. And so they say to themselves, maybe this is the prophet then that's come to bring us freedom and lead us out. Let's make him king. But Jesus escapes before they're able to do it. See, the crowd knew they had needs. They had this, this need to eat. They had this desire and this appetite for the miraculous, and they were looking for someone to follow. They were looking for a leader. They were looking for someone who was going to vindicate them and set them free from this oppression that they were facing. They wanted the meal, they wanted the miracle, and they wanted the monarch, but Jesus makes it very clear that while they are trying to get all of these temporary needs fulfilled, they have missed the giant need that Jesus has come to fulfill in their lives. You see, they wanted the meal, they wanted the miracle, and they wanted the monarch. But you know what they missed? Standing right in front of them was the Messiah. 
Jesus said to them after all of this in John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, the people had a problem. In all of their following of Jesus, their appetite had been stirred up to eat. Their curiosity had been stirred up for the miraculous. Their desire to have a great leader had been, had been raised. But the entire time they were following, they missed their greatest need. And the fact that Jesus had come to fill it. And here's my question for you this morning. Are you making that same mistake? Are you in your life making the exact same mistake? Because see, in your life, in my life, we know that we have some temporary needs that need to be filled. We know that we have all of these things that need to be accomplished and that need to be done. But there is one giant need in your life and in my life. A giant need that bothers us, a giant need that we try not to think about, a giant need that needs to be solved. And when we come to Jesus and we come like the people in this crowd come, we often make one of two mistakes. Either we underestimate the significance of our need or we underestimate the significance of who Jesus is. So what's our need? What's this giant gap that exists in the wall of our lives? What's this gap that needs to be filled that we're trying to piece together and make look halfway decent? Well, the reality is, I don't know if you know this, but one day, you're going to die. And one day, I'm going to die. I was reminded of this this week, a Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock. My wife gave birth to this beautiful baby girl, Nora Grace. Friday morning, I stood with some friends and people in this church. And we had this beautiful burial service. For a loved one who had passed away. And that's the reality of the life that we live, that we are born into this world, but at some point, in some moment, this world ends. And the reality of that, the reality of that does, does one of two things to us. It either uh, is so difficult for us to bear that we start to lose hope altogether and we shut down in life because we can't bear the weight of that reality, or that reality causes us to go crazy and try to live up as much as we can in this life because life is temporary, and so we're going to try to squeeze out of life everything that we can. But most of us, we just do whatever we can to distract ourselves from the reality. We just keep ourselves busy. Good thing that there's Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and cable because it can keep us super busy so we never have to think about it. 
And for many of us, we underestimate the significance of the problem that's before us, that life in this world ends at some moment. And here's the thing. You can come to Jesus and get a meal, but you're still going to die. And you can come to Jesus and he'll do a miracle. He raised people from the dead. But those people aren't here with us. We can't go see them. They still died. And you can follow the greatest leader and be a part of the biggest movement that's on the face of this earth, but your life here will still end at some point. This is a significant problem. And so many of us make one of two mistakes. We either underestimate the significance of the problem or we underestimate the significance of who Jesus Christ is. Because some of us come to Jesus and, and we, we do the right thing. We pray for provision. Jesus taught us, taught us to pray for our daily bread. And we do the right thing. We ask for a miracle. God still does miracle. He, he heals and he provides and he does amazing things. We come to God and we look for a great leader to follow day to day in this life. And there's no better person that you could follow in Jesus Christ. But we can come and we can have that meal and all the while miss the Messiah and miss the real reason why Jesus came. Jesus Christ came to give you life and to give it eternal. Jesus Christ came to be the giant solution to that giant gap that exists in the world where our life ends and we die and there's no hope afterward. Jesus comes and he says, I gave you bread. Eat it and you'll be hungry again. We picked up a bunch of it in 12 baskets. Leave it there. It'll grow stale. But I am the bread of life. And Jesus is saying to the people, you're coming to me for a meal or a miracle or a monarch, but I have something much greater to give you. My reason for coming is far beyond any of those things. And so I'll give you the meal. I'll do the miracle. You can even try to make me king. But all of that is pointing to something far greater. The fact that I am here to offer true hope and true joy and offer eternal life to all of those who would believe. And Jesus says to the people, I am the eternal solution to your eternal problem. And if you're only looking to me to find solutions to those simple temporary needs, you are missing why it is that I came and what it is that I have to offer you. Don't come to Jesus and have a meal but miss the Messiah. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we prepare to close this morning. And as they do, I want us to think about something together. I hesitated to bring this up, I'll be honest with you, because it's pretty fresh, and I get that. It's also a very serious topic, and I understand that. But I think dealing with what it is that Jesus is talking about here, I think it's worthy of our discussion. This week, two pretty high-profile people, people that have tasted a lot of what this world has to offer, made a very tragic decision. And they took their own life. So Kate Spade, who makes the, the, the fashion designer, uh, makes the purses and the clothes, took her own life and then later this week 
maybe you heard these stories, celebrity chef and TV host Anthony Bourdain did the same. And it sparked this whole discussion. Every time I looked at my news feed, it sparked this whole discussion as to why is it that more and more people in our culture are taking their life? Maybe you saw the same reports that I did this week. Reports saying that 30% more people today commit suicide than just a couple of decades ago in the United States. And then people were asking themselves the question, why is that? Why is it that this number is, is spiking? And I think it's worth asking that question. Why is it that in a, in a culture, in, in, a, in a society, that we pride ourselves in being more advanced and open than ever before, is this number rising? I think that's worth thinking about. The solutions that I read, the things that I read, the theories that I read this week, I think are partially true. Some people I read said that, well, the government has decreased the amount of spending that they're putting into mental health programs and that number needs to increase. And that's probably true. Maybe more money does need to be spent on these issues and they're important. Some people said, well, we don't talk about it enough. We don't, or we're not open enough with the reality of, of people who are struggling. And that's true as well. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're struggling emotionally and you're struggling and this is a real thought for you, then please come and talk to us. I'm not trying to belittle the seriousness of the situation. But in all of those solutions of money and talking, I think we're missing the biggest thing. You take Jesus Christ out of the equation, there is zero hope. And the people who have tasted the most of what this world has to offer, because we all get this, pre this preached to us in our culture, that yes, you have needs in your life, but everything that you need to solve that need is within you and in this world. So everything that you need to, to fill that gap that's in your life, it's, it's inside of you and it's inside of this world. And for most of us, we keep saying, okay, I just haven't found it yet. I just haven't found it yet. I'll keep working. But for people that have tasted everything that this world has to offer and they still look at it and they stand back from that wall and they say, I did everything that everyone told me to and it still looks terrible. We lose hope. It's a very tragic situation, but the answer isn't necessarily more money, although that's helpful. The answer isn't more conversation, although I'm all for it. The ultimate answer is Jesus Christ. He came to this earth and lived and died and rose again that we might have life eternal. He didn't come just to give us the best life until we die on this earth. He came, us to, give, he came to give us life right now and for eternity. And maybe you're sitting in the room this morning and for you, this is something that you're still not sure of. It's something that you haven't yet believed. My prayer for you is that you will do what Jesus says and that you will put your belief and your trust in him. And I promise you, as you do, you will find the eternal solution to your eternal problem that you can't solve on your own. And see, belief is different than just showing up to church. 
Here's the scary thing about it. You can show up to church and you can run a ministry and you can teach the children and you can make the craft and you can help with the coffee and you can play the song and you can do everything that there is to do in church. You can attend the group and you can be on the board. You can do all of those things and still not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The crowd was around Jesus, but they didn't believe. So my question for you this morning is, do you believe that Jesus is the ultimate answer to your ultimate problem? Are you just coming around to have a meal, hoping Jesus would make you feel better today, hoping Jesus would do something miraculous, that he'd fill your bank account or heal you? He'll do all of those things, but they're all done to point to something greater. He's the eternal solution to your eternal problem. He is life in the midst of death. So some of you are here and you've never believed that before. This morning is an invitation to believe that. Not just to follow Jesus and walk around with him and follow him over the sea back and forth, but to truly believe he is who he says he is. And some of you here this morning have believed this for a very long time. And I hope for you that this reminder this morning leads to greater worship, leads to greater thanksgiving, leads to greater appreciation for who God is and what he has done for you. As we end this time together this morning, we're going to do it a little bit differently than normal. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't yet believe and so you choose not to participate in this and that's okay. But if you're here this morning and you believe or you're here this morning and you want to believe, we together are going to assert what is true about who Jesus is. You see, there's this Bible study that was written about 500 years ago and I was reminded of it this week. And the Bible study is a bunch of questions and answers to those questions. And so I'm going to pose to you as we end what is the very first question in this study. And then together, you and I, if you choose, are going to boldly and with great worship and appreciation read the answer together. So the words are going to be on the screen. And here's the question. What is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? That's the question this morning for us. And together, we are going to read the answer. So read this answer boldly. Read this answer worshipfully. And let's honor God for who he is. So I ask you, what is your only comfort in life and death? Let's read together. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, mounthope.org m-o-u-n-t-h-o-p-e dot o-r-g or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T-Hope Belmont 
Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.